Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Panic Pass podcast. My name is Neil Morrison from Crashed On Net and Road Racing World. And with me today are David Emmett of Moto Matters. Hi, David. Hello, Neil. And Mr. Stephen English, World Superbike commentator. Hi, Neil. Good to see you again. Good to see you as well, sir. Um, it's worth pointing out straight away that we are recording uh, live from the Palau San Jordi in Barcelona. Uh, the Super Prestigio is about to kick off. And we have not been able to find a secure recording space, so we're basically up in the grandstands. So if you hear a little bit of background noise, it's uh, it's people preparing the track, warming up their bikes and things like that. It, it's atmosphere. That's what it is. Atmosphere. It's atmosphere. Exactly, yeah. So hopefully, back at home, a little bit of you will feel like you're uh, you're here with us, side shoulder to shoulder. So this is going to be basically um, an overview of the 2016 season. It was a very, very eventful year in many respects. Totally unique as well. Uh, David, first time we've ever seen nine different race winners in the MotoGP class ever going all the way back to 1949. Um, 2015, I think we can all agree, was a vintage season. Uh, did 2016, uh, was it a worthy follow-up? Oh, yeah, but in a completely different way. I mean, the, the 2016 it was all about circumstances, really. The weather had a, played a really, really big role. Uh, new tyres played a massive role to an, a certain extent. I mean, I really think that uh, Michelin had a, well, that they had a real curveball throw that at them in that they came in with new tyres. They'd done plenty of testing. They'd had sort of everything ready. But um, the, then it was much colder than year. It was a much colder year than normal. Uh, it was a much uh, wetter year than normal. There was just so many things that that uh, meant they were had to keep on reinventing their tyres every uh, basically every week from uh, from sort of Argentina through to the, to almost to the end of the season. That it made it uh, it made it a lot more uh, interesting. Certainly, um, I'm not sure it was a very precise and accurate reflection of the strongest riders at a particular time but it was definitely uh, an accurate reflection of uh, who got it right sort of on the day all year round first six or seven races steve all the way up to barcelona i think the three race uh, winners were just marquez lorenzo rossi no real huge surprise there at that point could you have envisioned guys like miller crutchlow ianone davizioso vinales going on to win races well, I think at that stage, if anyone was putting money on Crutchlow to win two races this year, I think he had, I think Neil used said something like 10 points by the time we got to Catalonia. So I think if anyone was thinking Cal was going to win a race, I think they would have been had their head examined. I think at that point of the season, it looked like uh, Cal's likely options for next year were revolving around a return to World Superbikes or you know lesser machinery. But uh, like his recovery through the season was one of the biggest storylines. I think it was one of the most impressive things that I've seen in my five years working in MotoGP but I think uh, definitely when we started that run of eight consecutive different winners no one saw that coming I think everyone sort of thought that we'd see a Ducati win a race you know we thought we'd see Pedroza win a race you know but no one thought that Miller was going to win a race no one thought Crutchlow was going to win a race and uh, you know it was just that was probably the the biggest surprise of the year for me was just to see just how competitive it was and as David said it was a case of who was getting it right on the day rather than what we saw in the past where it was who was getting it right just for the entire season. So in essence Dave was this Dorna getting it absolutely right with the rule changes was this vindication? I think there is a certain amount of it there's definitely a certain amount of vindication um uh, but like I said, it isn't, it isn't an, an accurate reflection of the strength of the strength of the various teams and all the rest of it. It was uh, there was a fair bit of luck to to, to the variety. Um, but it's absolutely clear that the uh, that the rules are in a really good place right now. 
precisely because uh, the, the, the spec electronics mean that uh, even though the factory teams still have an advantage because they have all the people to to, to get the uh, get the electronics set up properly, uh, they don't have people beavering away making uh, even cleverer algorithms to give them an unfair advantage. And I certainly think that we wouldn't have seen a Suzuki win if um, uh, uh, without the spec electronics. I'm not sure we would have seen. Uh, Ducati do quite as well. Certainly wouldn't have seen Aprilia um, uh, perform as well. Yeah, because I was just going to say, David, that recovery from Aprilia in the second half of the year, once they brought in their updated parts, one of the things that the riders always said was that like the jump that they made uh, electronics-wise was a big step for them from this year compared to last year. And that was the one thing that with the rule changes, I think everyone looked at it and said, yeah, you know, Honda's lost a lot of their advantage electronically, but... Now it is a lot, a lot closer through front to back of the grid, and I think that was definitely one of the the elements that did make a big difference for this season, as well as you know Michelin not tailoring the tires for different riders like they did when they were here ten years ago. I think there was a lot of things that went into this being a really great season, about as good a season as you could see in MotoGP. Yeah, again about the spec electronics. I mean, in the end. Uh, the satellite bikes are still further behind because they don't have they, they just don't have the data engineers that the the, the factories have. Uh, but the difference between Suzuki and, and Yamaha and Honda made a lot um, made a big difference. And also, as you said, the advance that uh, Yamaha or that um, sorry Aprilia made in the second half with the electronics that was the same for Honda. Honda basically was struggling with the electronics for the first half of the season or so up till maybe the, uh, after the wet races at Brno, and then they made a really big step. And you really saw in the last few races that that it came good. Yeah, Neil, I think like, we talked to Bradley Smith that the first or second test that he had with KTM just about the brain power that he had available to him as a factory rider compared to a satellite rider and that ties in with what David was talking about as well exactly exactly yeah yeah um that is uh that's a huge thing it is manpower um and I think that was some way surprising because at the start of the season I kind of expected the satellite guys to be a little bit closer in uh you know in Qatar Argentina Coda I and mean, I thought it would only be in the second half of the year when the factories really figured out the electronics that we would see huge strides from them but really from the start of the year we didn't have the uh, the satellite bikes as close to the front as I thought they were going to be. No, but and I don't think we'll see the satellite bikes close to the uh, the front until maybe the second half of next year once the uh, the refinements from the um, uh, from the factory starts to trickle down to the uh, uh, starts to trickle down to the satellite uh, teams. Is that something that matters an awful lot now when we've got twelve factory bikes on the grid? Well, the, the, that's the other thing. I mean, with the, with twelve bikes on the grid, it is so difficult uh, just to. I mean, just even if all of the factory uh, factory bikes finish sort of uh, from first to twelfth, it means that a factory, a full factory bike with a full factory rider on a good salary with an awful lot of resources, is going to finish twelfth and score was it three four points? That's uh, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow and it's the best that I mean uh, certainly I think Hervé Poncherel gave uh, mm. gave a press conference in the middle of the year around yeah but yeah exactly saying that it was pretty it was tough for him uh, it was tough for satellite teams because before they could you know if someone had a bad day then a satellite rider had a chance that uh, had a shot at a podium now if a factory if a factory rider has a bad day then that's the difference then maybe the tech three boys have a shot at 11th rather than uh, or, or a shot at the top 10 yeah. uh, if they get really lucky a shot at the top five uh, podiums um, with such a with such a such depth in field it makes it much more difficult absolutely um 
we spoke about there were four factories obviously that won races this year um, and we spoke about Aprilia improving so much towards the end of the season KTM are coming next year we have six factories obviously has MotoGP ever been in this position of strength Steve do you think before with this amount of factory involvement and each factory being as competitive as they seem to be we've seen a lot where we had factories in the sport but not strong factories and I think when you look back to probably the the best era of having like multiple factories in in the series this is about as good as we're seeing for the the competitiveness of all those factories it's all well and good to have like you can make a comparison to world superbikes where you've got seven manufacturers on the grid but you've got bmw lagging behind the occasional top five you look at MotoGP and aprilia had top tens this year suzuki won a race ducati won a race yamaha honda won races and then you bring ktm in next year and just as we were saying there about the, the resources that they're bringing, like Bradley Smith was talking about having 15 engineers at a debrief instead of the three that he had at Tectois. So, you know, when they've got that kind of knowledge, that kind of info, and the people that they're hiring, like you look at the the list of engineers, mechanics, the software engineers that have all been brought to KTM, and they're all top-line guys from top-line teams, and they're doing their best to shortcut their knowledge just to be able to get to the front as quickly as possible. I think this is as good an era as we've ever seen at Grand Prix. And I, I can't really, I can't really recall any time where, where we've been close to this depth with this amount of manufacturers. Yeah, and once again, I think that's just down to the electronics. The fact that the uh, because the electronics can be a black hole, basically, the, you you can throw more and more money at it and get the smaller and smaller advantages, uh, but still sufficient advantage to actually uh, to actually win races, and then it makes it impossible to catch up. Yeah, and the electronics are what makes motorcycles go around tracks as quick as they do and that's where it was really interesting when Matt Oxley had a piece on motorsport and an MCN Sport just about the electronics so it's worth just having a look for that as well online. Absolutely yes well we this is a season review show and we're going to basically break down the the remainder of the show into four or five different parts where we choose a category and we discuss what our opinions are and I'm hoping that our opinions are all going to be quite different so we can have a little bit of a debate on this subject i completely disagree oh it's <laughs> a good start well actually just to to start it off then um what was your favorite wardrobe function of the year because i've just gotten a couple of texts after just tweeting that we're recording here at the Super Prestige and a lot of people are commenting, where's David Emmett's hat in the picture? <laughs> it's definitely one of the, the best additions to the, the MotoGP wardrobe. Well, you see, it's winter and so uh, I'm wearing my winter hat, my winter woolly hat, so uh, and, and not my summer uh, sunshade hat, which uh, will, I, hope, I hope the audience will, uh, will forgive us. In- intermediates have been banned for next year, Dave. Do you have an intermediate hat that you can call on in decent conditions? Something to work on for next year. <laughs> Okay, cool. So we've got a few different categories that we've agreed on. Um, we spoke about before the show. And basically, I'm just going to ask you both for your opinions on certain subjects. And then we can talk a little bit about that. And move on to the next one. Um, so we'll start off with the very obvious thing. What was the best race of 2016? And we're going to limit this to Grand Prix. So it can be in a MotoGP class, it can be a Moto2 or a Moto3. Um, and I'll start with you, David. What, in your opinion, was the, the best race we saw this year? Well, the, the best race we saw all year was just about every single Moto3 race, um, with the exception of Jerez, possibly. But um, there was one or two good Moto2 races for a change this year were, as well. Yeah, there were. I mean, they were, honestly, that was uh, that was great. It was actually great to see uh, to, to see some proper Moto2 racing uh, racing 
interesting as well. Uh, it's really difficult to say because there were so many in interesting and entertaining races, but for lots and lots of different races. Yeah. Aston was fantastic just because it was so confusing and sure. no one knew what the hell was going on. There were people crashing out all the time. That always makes it more exi exciting. Yeah, Yoni Hernandez was leading and Jorge Lorenzo was 15th for a lot of that race. Yes, uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Strange things happening. Exactly. Saxon Ring, again, all about getting the, getting the gamble right on, on changing tyres uh, or, or not changing tyres. Um, uh, Silverstone, absolutely fantastic race. Uh, Valencia was a fantastic race, but for second. Sure. Um, quite honestly, if I, I would find it very, very difficult to pick just a uh, just a single race. And I think if I had to go for one, I'd probably just say Aston, just because it it had everything. Yeah. Okay. Aston Jack Miller obviously taking his first uh, Grand Prix win in Aston and the first satellite win since 2006, I think. Thanks, yeah. yeah, Steve. What about yourself? Would you agree with David? Aston was the best race we saw this year, the MotoGP race. Um, just on the basis of what you said earlier on, no, David, I completely disagree with you. <laughs> I think uh, Sepang for me was the most enjoyable race, probably as well just by virtue of the fact that uh, we finally got to see Davi win a race again. I think that plays a big role in it. Like Jack winning in in uh, Aston was tremendous because it was as you say Neil the first time since Tony Elias won in 06 that we saw a satellite rider win a race you know there was there was something historic about that I think it was also good to see Davi get a win in Sepang and we had lots of incidents in that race loads of different crashes in, in the front group but we had like five or six riders battling out right at the front that was really exciting to see I think uh you know, there was there was other historic moments like Silverstone, Neil. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think if I had to choose a race this year uh, that stood above all others, it would be Silverstone. And again, like you said, David, when you were talking about uh, one of the races earlier, it wasn't a great battle for the for the lead. Maverick Vinella has just cleared off and, and won that at the canter. But uh, the battle for second really was something to behold. And we had, I think at one time, six, uh, maybe seven riders in the battle for second. Yeah. Um, you had both factory Ducatis, you had both Repsol Hondas, Crutchlow Rossi. Um, and it also was just a proper slugfest between Rossi and Marquez on, on occasions, which was, you know, spectacular to watch. Um, and also quite pleasing at the end of it that both riders came out and just said that, you know what, that was a great race. And they had no kind of qualms about the fact that it was too tough or anything. It was just straight up hard racing. And uh, it's also probably worth mentioning that that was, in my opinion, I think even more than Philip Island, that was probably Crown Crutzel's best race. Uh, because he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Marquez. He dissed, he dissed it out as, as much as Marquez does. And... Uh, yeah, he came out in trumps um, and in front of a home crowd, you know, it was that was really something special, I thought. Yeah, because I think, you know, going back to what I said a couple of minutes ago about like Crutchlow's season at Catalonia, none of us would have thought that he was going to fight for podiums, never mind have sure. that kind of a scrap. But that could, that's a nice segue, Steve, because our next category is the biggest surprise of the season. Wow, it's almost like you do this stuff for a living, talking <laughs> in front of a microphone. Linking one thing to another, I know. Big shock. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's start with that then, Steve. So, so we all have different opinions on the best race of the year. Uh, the biggest surprise? I think it's easy to look at Marquez actually winning the championship, but can we really be that surprised when Mark does amazing things on a motorbike? No, but I think we can be surprised that Mark does amazing things on a motorbike without falling off. Mm. Yes, yeah. good point. For, for me, I think the biggest surprise was Cal's resurgence. Like This was something that I think everyone, everyone that's worked with Cal, everyone that's been around Cal in the paddock. I think we've all seen just how much hunger he has. We've heard from engineers about how much drive he has and the work ethic. But I think uh, just to recover from such a horrendous start to the season, to actually, you know, I think uh, Saxon Ring he was on the podium, and we all sort of thought, all right, that's 
Cal's won mega race of the year. He'll settle back to be a top five rider for the rest of the season. And then he went and he, he had that win in Brno and it was just a clever race win. But as you said, Neil, Silverstone was probably the best that we've ever seen from Cal. I think his overtaking moves were brave, decisive, and just that was that was that was a time where the Honey Badger nickname was very warranted, whereas at times in the past I think it was a questionable nickname choice. But I think in that race he showed all the grit and determination that you expect from a former world champion and just one of the best MotoGP riders in the world. And I think it was absolutely fantastic to see. I think that race, all of us that you know have worked in the British bike industry, to finally see that 35-year wait come to an end, that was a special moment for everyone. But for me, just to see Cal go toe-to-toe and beat those riders was just something amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, well, we've spoken about Cal, uh, you touched on Marquez, uh, win the championship. I mean, it's, you can, we can't really overstate just how much in the, the doo-doo Honda were at the, the final preseason test in Qatar, Dave. Would, would Marquez's turnaround and his ability to keep his head, even when he was in those, uh, those fights for the lead, uh, and settle for points eventually? Was that the biggest surprise of the year for you, or? It isn't, um, but that's not to say it isn't something truly remarkable because, I mean, it, I remember talking to him a few times when he had finished fourth and fifth and you could see it was causing him actual physical pain. It was physically painful <laughs> for him to actually finish there. He would rather have fallen off, but he knew that he had yeah. he had to score points. He'd learned it from 2015. For me, the biggest uh, uh, surprise is... I think it has to be Brad Binder, clearly a good rider. He was clearly capable. We were waiting for him to win one race, but we didn't expect him to completely just destroy everyone in Moto3. Uh, again, it's really hard to pick a to, to pick a single rider because there were so many things. And the, the Lorenzo, the fact that Lorenzo had so many awful problems with the, with the Michelin is, is another one. There's so many different things. The, the fact that Valentino Rossi is still that competitive at that age, still has that hunger and is still capable of... And that he could have won the championship if he hadn't fallen off two or three sure, times. Sure. Can we nail you down on one moment there, Dave? In one moment, <laughs> one, oh, oh, one moment. Yeah, yeah, obviously. No, one moment, it has to be Brad Binder. It has yeah. to be Brad Binder. Um, uh, the win at uh, Jerez was just a, was, was astonishing, but then going on as he did afterwards, always, every single Moto3 race, he was all, uh, uh, with, with the exception of two or three, when he did, but when he did less well, uh, he was almost always every lap in the top four, three, four, five, always amongst the front, always in position, always outsmarted his um, uh, his his, uh, his opposition and just had a fantastic race. Yeah, and it was almost uh, the most dominant championship we've ever seen in Grand Prix. I think he was just uh, a handful of points off the, the biggest winning yeah. margin in terms of uh, championship points uh, from first to second. Uh, I think you threw up a whole lot of great points there, Dave. Um I think Rossi's resurgence in Jerez just took me aback because we hadn't seen Rossi lead a race like that um, from the first lap and just pull away. He'd never done it. He'd yeah. never done it before. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's right. He, exactly. He's, he's, he's from flag to flag. He's, he's never sure. re- won a race from flag to flag. So to do something yeah. like that, something yeah. unique. Um, I was out with um, uh, John Laverty, uh, you know, watching and he, and he was saying, He's working on tire life. He's working. I think during FP two or FP three, he was he's going out on, on. He's working on tire life, working on short shifting uh, through all the corners. Um, and John was pretty. It was pretty clear that it was going to be uh, that he was going to be winning. Yeah, yeah, because that was an interesting one. That race specifically, just because if you remember, you saw Lorenzo really ragged. Yeah, and you just saw him go like open the throttle so aggressively compared to what you usually see from Lorenzo, and it was just interesting to see that it was Rossi 
that was the smooth calculating yeah. rider yeah. as opposed to what we've traditionally seen in their relationship was really interesting sure and i can attend a degree with jorge at the end of 2015 in that the way rossi acted almost suggested that he felt that was that was his last chance to be competitive and the fact that he once again came into 2016 and you know had kind of twiddled with his style and everything you know, that was that was quite astonishing but i'm going to go for something different i'm going to say jorge's struggles overall with michelin was something that i find uh, truly surprising because i remember being at the the, the final preseason test in qatar on the final night when Jorge did uh, a very long race simulation and he was just in another class in a completely different class and you know after the, the preseason test in Sepang where he was a second clear of everyone including Rossi um, you know going into the season and on the back of 2015 when he was so strong um, I genuinely was expecting Rossi uh, sorry expecting Lorenzo to, to clear off and, and win quite convincingly um, to see him struggle okay maybe that wasn't such a big surprise 2014 wasn't that long ago but to see him struggle to the extent he did in places like the Saxon ring like Aston where it was just desperate Philip Island in qualifying he was what six seconds off pole position just really poor you know from a, a rider of his caliber um, yeah really is not something that I expected at all so I would say Jorge's struggles with Michelin and also just remember at the end of testing speaking to someone from Michelin and they kind of said off the record Jorge is holding something back so you know Although he was so strong, he so still had not more, only was he yeah, a second faster, yeah, yeah. but he had even more in sure, the bag. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And you just thought, wow, okay, this guy's going to walk it, you know. But it didn't transpire that way, um, and you know that's all right for the show. I think we can say in the end. <laughs> so uh, we've talked about the biggest surprise. Next on the list is the biggest disappointment. I started with you last time, Steve. David, the biggest disappointment of 2016. This is where David just repeats everything you said. About <laughs> <laughs> the biggest di disappointment, uh, I think it's between the Pramac Ducatis. Both the Pramac Ducati riders did were, were disappointed. They had, there was a lot of reason for them to be disappointing. There was a lot of uh, mechanical failures. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, Petrucci uh, uh, broke a bone in his hand, uh, which hampered him for a lot of the year. But I think if I'm going to if I'm going to have to choose, it has to be Romano Fanati. Um, uh, Romano basically came into moto uh came into the year we were expecting him to be champion and he just came up uh, he just failed he couldn't win a race kept on putting himself when finding himself in a position where he could have won a race and managing to lose it uh, and then he threw a hissy fit lost his job i think it's going to be i think he, he, that makes for a much more interesting 2017 but he was definitely the biggest disappointment for me this year okay i think it's a fair answer Steve, what about you? Would you? I think we'll put you in the man in the middle this time, Nilo. Uh, okay. Well, um, part of me wants to say, um, I was kind of thought it was quite interesting speaking to Jack Miller at the the, the final um, test of the year at Valencia. Um, he was talking about everything that had changed within Honda, or it changed for him from the the race to the test, and Honda had kind of given a chassis uh, his way, and they'd also kind of given him an electronics upgrade um, and he was you know one one and a half seconds faster than he was in the race and I just thought that Jack I think has shown kind of around mid-season he had the win at Assen he had a really good race in Saxon ring uh, he kind of started to build up some momentum top 10 in Catalonia as well and I kind of really felt that he had proved himself there he got himself fit um, got himself in shape, cut down in the sort of party lifestyle that he had become known for in 2015 and um yeah, I thought he was deserving of, uh, of slightly better treatment from uh, from HRC. Um, but the same issues that had hampered him at the start of the year were very much there at the end of the year. 
and um, it was only when he got to the test that uh, basically that uh, he found some kind of form of improvement. So I think that Miller is really next year is a guy that could possibly be a regular top eight, maybe top six finisher. Um, but I think for if he can beat all those other factory well, bikes, sure, exactly. <laughs> but for him to do that, I think you know it's going to require um, Honda to you know show a little bit more faith in him. And you know, considering this is final year coming up on an HRC contract, I think that is uh, that's quite important because you know we all know that Jack is quite a considerable talent. Yeah, and I think that uh, the one thing that does go in Jack's favour for that is that he did have to do the donkey work at the Horath test. I think a lot of that comes down to Repsol and HRC didn't want. Marquez and Pedroza to use up any of their days of testing but it's also a couple of days where Jack is the centre of attention and they're able to see an awful lot more from him than they would if they had both the Repsol Honda bikes there as well so I think uh, Jack for next year I definitely think could be a serious contender I think no one's ever going to question how much talent he has on the bike and we have seen a big change just in his application and how much he's actually put into it I think if you remember back to last year I remember at the Sepang test Jack walked in and he was overweight and you know he'd been told that he needed to put on weight for MotoGP but it didn't yeah, look like he'd not been around told the how, waist. To, how to put it on yeah. <laughs> or the chin yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly no I mean the, the, the turnaround was really astonishing and, and, and really well deserved and I think yeah. like when you look at Indianapolis last year was the first time I looked at him and thought like fuck he looks like a proper fit strong MotoGP rider yeah. and that's what stood him this year because he had so many serious injuries and he was able to recover from them very quickly and still be able to compete and I think that's something that should be said for Jack's season as well mm. for me the, the biggest disappointment it's hard to argue Dave with you for the Pramac riders we've talked about it a few times a lot of us have written about just the fact that uh, at the start of last winter tests um, Scott Redding talked about how comfortable he was with the team the bike everything was exactly as he needed it and then it just never really clicked through the season with the Michelins and different things like that but for me the biggest disappointment of the year probably Sam Lowe's in Moto2 I think this was a championship that was there to be won and I think there was probably I think his season hinged on about two 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 results I think the second crash in Saxonring in the wet if he hadn't crashed there if he had have finished top five even with a crash in that race he would have gone through Austria still would have had a bad weekend in Austria Bruno and you know gone to Silverstone with at closer points total I think then you know if he doesn't have that crash with Zarco then I think his season hinges on those two results and that basically is the difference between this being a championship winning season and a disappointing season and I think that's uh, that's the knife edge that these guys race under but uh, yeah for me that was probably the, the biggest disappointment yeah I mean the, the most interesting thing for me about Sam Lowe's was his comments about uh, uh, the Silverstone race that he didn't really he'd put so much uh, invested so much uh, mental energy in in Silverstone that to come away and emotion yeah and emotion yeah. exactly yeah, yeah exactly I think that was what cost him yeah 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 and um, like I've talked to Sam a lot about that just post season and things like that and I think it's the one thing that he's very keen to work on for next year because he knows in MotoGP these are the best riders in the world he's got a lot to learn he's got a quick teammate in the leash and I think it's that thing of like just understanding that you can't win every race you can't beat your teammate every race like you're gonna basically get you're, you're an, uh, a nail that's just going to get hammered for yeah. most of the season and I think it's just trying to understand that going into the season because I think like this season especially he would have gone in with a lot of 600 experience experience now as a Grand Prix rider as well and I think that that's as you said David just that uh, the mental cost of that crash at Silverstone 
definitely was the the big factor yeah yeah okay nice right so good answers from you chaps um next up we have the best battle or the best overtake of the season guess in some ways this is linked to the best race but uh it, was there one particular overtaking move that excited you well, that got you hot and steamy around the collar david there were it doesn't a, take much there were a lot of them um, uh, again because the tires changed it meant we saw a lot more overtaking and that was uh, that was really great uh, i think some of the best overtaking was probably valentino rossi and um at sepang uh, turn nine he was absolutely imperious there there was some good passing also at silverstone marcus versus rossi um also at uh, at, at barcelona just some Again, Barcelona could easily be a candidate for the for, for the best race, just because it was such a tough race, it was such a tight race, such a close yeah. race. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, a single one hard to say, but I think definitely seeing uh, j just seeing the way that um, uh, Valentino Rossi was passing people at, at Sepang, it was the Valentino Rossi of old, and it was a, it was a joy to behold. Absolutely, absolutely, Steve. Um, for me, it was Crutchlow at Silverstone. Just those moves, just being so decisive so aggressive um, bold just bold yeah yeah, yeah. like we, we were actually looking at uh, a couple of videos like um last night of kevin schwantz and some of his overtaking moves just in places where you just don't expect them and i think uh cal's moves at silverstone this year were in places where you just don't expect to see moves and they were just perfect perfectly executed and the key thing was that he was then able to use his advantage and gap people mm. you know i think it was just a really impressive Impressive race from Cal and just some just tremendous moves. Yeah, and I think you could see from Marquez's reaction after that how riled up he was to beat Crutchlow. Eventually, that was his undoing. I think you know he uh, he ended up running off track, um, trying to outbreak him on the final lap. And clearly, that uh, that overtake was still fresh in his memory. Yeah, uh, for me, I would have to say um, you know Mugello was a, a sensational race for the, for the MotoGP race win, um, and I think I would maybe say that Lorenzo's overtake on Marquez on the the final lap yeah. through the final is it Scarperia the left right that final chicane before yes, the last hairpin yeah it is Scarperia I forget I forget which one yeah. which one it is okay um, the final chicane let's say Mugello, right. just the, to be safe yeah. yeah I think it's also worth noting they're not chicanes <laughs> sure <laughs> S bend we'll say yeah, yeah fast S bend that's that's a good but I'd forgotten about that one but it was yeah. it was just breathtaking yeah, because we we I think Marquez passed Lorenzo turn five or turn six and we were kind of waiting for Jorge to line up an attack and it didn't come and it seemed that the most obvious place was the final corner and then he just said that he had this memory where he passed De Angelis I think in this race in like 2005 in the 250s and he basically went around Marquez's outside and just put him over the top of him and you know he ran a bit wide in the exit and Mark got back by um, but that kind of exchange of moves in that final lap was just absolutely breathtaking and I think was also um, you know people say that Jorge goes out and you know if anyone roughs him up then that's him done but he showed in that race that you know on occasion uh, he can you know hold his fists up and give as good as he gets yeah I think it's also worth remembering that Jorge's riding in 125s and 250s no one was saying that he no, you know? no <laughs> but I think uh, we, we definitely saw that transition but a lot of that is just because of the fact that he's so dominant once he hits the front yeah. and it was nice just to see him get the gloves up and uh, just try and just land some punches yeah yeah absolutely okay and that brings us to the final category the rider of the year the best rider in 2016 for some reason I think that we might all be in agreement with this one um, for that I'm going to say that Mark Marquez really deserves this title. I can't think of anyone who deserves it more. I mean, Rossi was astonishing for coming back and doing what he did. Uh, I thought Vinales had a fantastic year, a genuinely 
impressive year where he proves himself to be one of the best riders in the world. But considering the hole that Honda were in at, uh, in preseason and considering Mark's ability to not just uh, not just kind of settle for points but to rally Honda I thought it was really interesting after Japan that he said um, that between the the last test and the first race he had a meeting with Honda and he said like okay I'm going to ride within myself for the first nine races but I need you guys to kind of step it up and bring me something in Brno that's going to help me win the championship in the final couple of races Um, and you know for a 23 year old to have that kind of strength of character to sit down with a full factory with bosses and you know basically dish it out like that um, is is quite remarkable, um, and I thought, yeah, just his, his riding overall was fantastic. His his race win in Germany was sensational, just sensational. A proper champions ride, and you know, if I think if anyone had said to us in uh, in Qatar that Mark would win the championship, have it wrapped up by by Matagi, we would have laughed the person out of the out of the room. So Mark would be my bet. Uh, any of you gentlemen have a different opinion? I don't think that you can really disagree with that because if you were to listen back to our season previews, all of us were completely writing Mark off. If you look at anything that any of us wrote, we were writing Honda off. And I think it was just, this was an unbelievable campaign for Mark. And it was it was interesting because I interviewed him at the Hareth test last year. And um, we talked about just the 2015 season and what he'd learned. And the key thing he said was just like what you were saying earlier on, David, was that... Uh, I need to learn how to ride within myself. I need to learn that if on any given day, fifth place is the best I can do, then that's a good race. And I think I remember sitting there and he was, I even said to him like, you're Mark Marquez. No one's going to believe it when you say this. And he's there like a little wink of the eye and he's there like, yeah, they'll believe it in a year's time. And it was, it was just an amazing transformation from him. But I'd also... I think it's also worth noting Rossi's performance because, you know, this was an, an another incredible season for him. We saw some unbelievable races by him. And, you know, at his age to continue to do what he does, it's just, it's hugely impressive, especially on the back of what happened at the end of last season. Sure. And it's probably worth saying that, you know, there was a spell from, I would say, maybe Austin. Uh, from Hareth right the way through to Aragon where he yeah. was probably faster than Marquez in most races yeah. yeah, and obviously his bike you know I think we could all agree that the Yamaha was a, a better package for most of the season um, but yes that was that was great yeah and that's what makes Mark's season even more impressive yeah exactly I mean it's hard to disagree with any of that I mean you saw uh, that Mark did exactly what he needed to win the championship uh, including taking taking fourth and fifth when he needed to um, he also I mean you saw what happened once he wrapped the championship off he started going out and said right we'll see the old Mark and the old Mark um, is the Mark who ends up in the gravel trap and scores nul point um, so yeah that's that that's exactly what you saw from him yeah I think that that's what's going to be really cool about next year is to see like if Mark is able to look at this and say you know what winning races is great but i want to keep winning championships yeah and just ride within himself i think when you look at some of the the really great riders they've all had that super aggression loads of crashes and then it's just like can they keep that speed while ironing out the mistakes and uh, you know at the end of the season we saw that mark can't do that still but maybe in 2017 he'll be able to do that oh i think we saw at the end of the season that he could do it but what we, what we saw was that he, he could do it uh, right up until the point where he's actually won the championship, and then after that, all bets are off, and it's uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, and it's expensive carbon fiber bills time. Yeah, see, for me, that's uh, right within yourself to win the championship, and yeah. then you know, I think Rossi has shown that he's one of the few riders that can 
hit that limit and just maintain that limit and that's the that's the one trick that's left in Marquez's arsenal to find but he's 23 years old he'll be yeah. 24 at the start mm-hmm. of next season it's going to be what's fifth MotoGP season like you know that's where your your experience starts to grow an awful lot when you look at uh, you know a lot of the the greatest riders that we've seen you know they didn't have it all hooked up by year three, year four. They might have won championships like Mark did, but they weren't at the height of their powers. So that's where you know Mark's going to continue to grow for another three, four years, and that's where it's going to be properly scary. To see yeah, it can is. be yeah. Scary. And, unless we see some talent coming through from from Moto two, Moto three to challenge him. So or well, the talent that's already on the grid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think well, you have to look at uh, next season. You put Vinales on that Yamaha, and just you say David about the talent that uh, you know that could that uh, we need to get through but you look at Moto3 for next year we were talking about this earlier off air myself and Neil and just the talent level of those young first and second year riders in yeah. that class right now is amazing and then David your biggest disappointment of the year Romano Fanati comes back yeah. and uh, you know can he challenge those guys next year yeah, for a Moto3 championship if you look at Pekka Banyaya on the MotoGP test I mean he, uh, I went out and watched him and he, he looked really aggressive he looked really fast he was running totally total Moto3 line so he was you know wide everywhere mm. trying to carry too much corner speed but his times were really very respectable indeed so so you uh, th- there are all of these there's a bunch of the kids moving up to Moto2 next year the future really is quite bright absolutely and just one final thought I mean Marquez is a rider that won the one two five title in two thousand ten in the most unbelievable style. Yeah. Um, he won his first MotoGP title. Sorry, he won the MotoGP title in his first year in two thousand thirteen. You know, hadn't been done since Kenny Roberts could've, in the seventies. Could have won his Moto two title in the first sure, year as well sure. if he hadn't yeah. fallen off exactly. and damaged his eye. But was this was this achievement this year? Uh, did that head all everything else that he's done? In your eyes? Uh, the, the, uh, this was his most complete year. This year, he was a co- he was a complete rider. He was very much a complete rider. Yeah, for me, this was the most impressive season we've seen from Mark, and that says an awful lot. You know, I think um, anyone from like whenever he made his Grand Prix debut looked at him and saw a lot of talent, a special rider. But uh, just to be able to see him do this was something that we didn't expect. Absolutely. So you can probably hear some bikes being fired up in the background. That is our cue to probably end the show. Um, thank you very much, David. Thank you. And thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. And uh, thank you very much, listener at home, uh, for listening to this episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. And putting up with the noise. And putting up with the noise, the background noise. I hope a little part of you felt like you were in the Palau St. Jordi with us. And, uh, but hopefully a little bit warmer because it's getting a bit nippy. <laughs> it is, exactly. Just you in case- best get that winter hat on, Dave. <laughs> Steve actually has a balaclava with him, so you best get that on as well, Steve. Uh, Irishman with a balaclava? <laughs> you never know when it's going to come in, have you? It's pretty cold here. Pension day in Barcelona, mate. <laughs> so just the, the usual reminder that we, uh, that we say at the end of each, uh, each show, if you're not following us on Facebook, please do. We're uh, facebook.com forward slash panic pass pod cast uh, also follow us on twitter at paddock pass pod and if you're listening to us on itunes it would be absolutely sensational if you could leave us a review because those reviews help us to find help other viewers or listeners to find our show that's right we would definitely think you would be the most awesome person on the place of the planet if you were to uh, rate us and leave us a review so we hope you've enjoyed our review of 2016 thanks for listening see you next time Yes, let's, uh, we're recording already. Oh, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hang on, I need to sit myself up.
otherwise I'll be on the list. Yes, indeedy. This is the Pulau San Jordi. Palau. Palau. Palau San Jordi. Palau San Jordi. The Palau San Jordi. Okay. So, chaps, are we ready? Or? I'm uh, yeah. ready to rock and roll. Okay, cool. Before we get started, we need to do our obligatory, uh, and also one with us all. There we go. There we Dave's go. got his uh, pass in his ear. Oh, yeah. That's the way he rolls. <laughs> I, know how to, I know what the ladies like. That's the way he does things. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Panic Pass podcast. My name is Neil Morrison.